So are you all having a good time? Are we happy, joyous, and free? Well, that wasn't that convincing. Can we try it again? Are we happy, joyous, and free? There you go. Okay. Um, welcome to the 2011 Region 2 Convention. My name is Kathy. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this session. Before we begin, I have a few announcements. We'd like you to take advantage of all the other things this convention has to offer to help Region 2 carry the message. If you liked what you heard and want to take it with you so you have it all year round, please stop by the recording center tables outside the Houston room. They have CDs and MP downloads from all the sessions. If you saw Maria's stylish outfits last night during the play, they were, they were all from the Rags to Riches Boutique, which is um, just right across the hall here. Stop by and see the gems, that, that, what gems you can find for yourself. Uh, next door to the boutique is our silent auction. You can bid on Dodger tickets, a computer printer, airline tickets, and other wonderful prizes. Also, they have magnets and pins with every program saying known to man. So don't miss that. Uh, also, visit our hospitality suite to have a quiet place to talk, find out about local places to visit, and look at some of the wares from other intergroups. And finally, we have t-shirts for sale across from the registration desk. Please stop by and check it out. Okay. So, um, also, please help us preserve our cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. Will everyone who cares to please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The title of this panel is Long Timers 25 Years and Up. The format for this session is reading from our literature, three speakers, and questions from the Ask It basket. As the speakers are sharing, we will pass around a basket with paper and pencils for you to write any questions you may have. Please specify if you are uh, directing your question to a specific speaker. Please be sure to keep the basket moving, even if you have already passed it. As speakers continue to share, members may think of questions that they did not have when the bas pass basket first passed by. I'm going to read a section from, selection from page 357 from the Voices of Recovery. Voices of Recovery, page 357. It doesn't matter how long I've been working the steps or how many service positions I've held or how long I've been abstaining or how much physical recovery I have. Today, if I'm wanting to overeat, I need to call someone and talk about it. I need to say those humble magic words. I said when I first came to OA, I need help. In this way, I admit to God, to myself, and to another human being the exact nature of what's wrong with me today. When I stop denying the truth, it loses its power to destroy me. Okay, so let's get right to our panelists. Um, first, our first speaker is Randy from L.A. She has 35 years of recovery, and she will speak for 20 minutes. Please join me in welcoming her. I'm Randy, compulsive overeater. 
this was truly a last-minute thing. And Jeff, thank you, wherever you are, Jeff, thank you so much for, for asking me. I, I feel so, so honored. Um, just to give you a little bit of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I waddled into Overeaters Anonymous on March 4th of 1976 in my size 20 blah, blah, blah dress that I was literal, I was busting out of. Now, I always thought that at the time, the regular shops, sometimes they'd have one or two size 18, size 20s, and I, I would never go into Lane Bryant because that would be admitting I had a problem. Uh, everybody else could see I had a problem, but I didn't. So I was 23 years old when I walked into OA, and I had reached the bottom of the barrel. I had been eating compulsively. I remember eating compulsively when I was like four or five years old and instinctively knowing there was something wrong. I knew that I knew that I was different. I knew that other people didn't um, eat frozen stuff right out of the freezer. It's funny, my mother always put cakes and sweets in the freezer thinking that she just defrosted a piece. And it's like Saturday mornings were my favorite time of day because my mother was at the hairdresser, my father was at work, and I could just, my favorite thing was literally standing up in front of the freezer, slicing off this frozen stuff that had no taste whatsoever, but I knew I had to have it. And I knew that I was driven by a compulsion, and I didn't understand it. When I was about 11 or 12, I did a report for my health class on alcoholism and drug addiction. And I remember very distinctively saying to my mother, you know, I'm an alcoholic with food. And at such a young age, I, I knew that, that this was it. And my mother, you know, bless her heart, said the, what I call the trifecta. You're too sensitive, you're imagining things, and you're wrong. And that's what I got my whole life was you're too sensitive, you're imagining things, and you're wrong. So from a very early age, I knew that I wasn't good enough. And I always strive, I had to be better. I, I was the Stepford child, um, and I knew growing up, or I was told growing up, that I wasn't pretty, I wasn't popular, I didn't know how to talk to people, so the only way you're going to succeed in life is to be smarter than everybody else. My parents are both doctors. So they, you know, the usual Jewish thing is you want to grow up and marry a doctor. With me, I had a double whammy because they wanted me to marry a doctor and they wanted me to be one as well. So I went to college and uh, to backtrack. In high school, I was meh maybe 20 pounds heavier than I am now, but I always had that fat head, thinking that I just had to have that food. Food was my friend. Food was my Saturday night date. Um, but then I got to college, and I learned that 
Ew. I wasn't the smartest tool in the shed. There were people who were as smart as or smarter than I was. And um, so between September when I left for college and November when I came back for Thanksgiving, I put on 40 pounds. And that was when my eating really took off. It was also, um, I hooked up with the man who became my husband. And I hadn't had much experience in dating in high school. So here I was away from home, away from the parental control. And I was looking around and I picked out the, the scruffiest looking guy with the longest hair. And I'm going, all right, you know, since I didn't think I could get any better, and I knew it was a person that would piss off my parents, that was the one I ended up hooking up with. Um, so let's fast forward. Um, you know, I went through a lot of challenges in college. Um, I graduated got married, went into the workforce, but the eating just kept spiraling out of control. And in February, uh, backtrack, June of 75, I went to the doctor and the scale topped 200 for the first time. And I'm only five foot two, by the way. And I was getting, you know, me, athletic, you know, I think my idea of exercise was this, and that was about the extent of it, so I had a really strong right arm. Um, but aside from that, I was, I was short of breath. I have asthma. I had asthma, which, by the way, I no longer have. It's kind of amazing how the lack of excess weight kind of clears up a lot of that stuff. Um, but... At that time, I just gave up hope. And it's really weird because I would always pray to God, pray to God, which was really a bargain with God. And that was kind of my relationship with higher power prior to this program. I grew up in a very observant family in my particular faith. And, but... To me, my higher power, you prayed to him once or twice a year. He, I imagined my higher power like Lincoln, if you've ever been in Washington, D.C., at the Lincoln Memorial where Abraham Lincoln is, is sitting in this big chair and he's larger than life. And he sits down and looks out over the mall. And that's how I imagined my higher power to me. You know, my higher power was someone who kind of sat down and looked and passed judgment on you. But God had zero relevance in my daily life. Unless I was praying, bargaining with God, you know, God, get me past, please let me pass this test. I didn't bother going to classes and I didn't bother studying, but God, you know, please get me through this. And it was very hit or miss. You know, gee, if I didn't go to class and I didn't study, all the praying in the world is not going to get you to pass the class. Um, and then I became disillusioned and a cynic. 
my um, relationship with my husband was one of, you know, I kind of jokingly say I was a poster child for codependence, but that's another program, um, which I won't go into. But my eating definitely affected my relationship with, with him. And then in about February of 76, I don't know why it happened, but my thinking underwent a change. I had been put on diets ever since I was a little kid, even though in looking at pictures of me as a child, I wasn't really that fat. But there was this standard that, you know, once again, I didn't live up to. And I felt like I was the fattest person in the world. So I guess when I went to college, the body kind of caught up with it, the way I felt about myself. But in February of 75, it was um, my prayers changed and my thoughts changed. And it was kind of a resignation, a giving up or a surrender, depending on how you want to look at it. I began to feel, all right, if it's God's will that I'm going to be fat for the rest of my life, then that's the way it's going to be. And that was the start of the surrender. What's amazing is that about a week later, someone told me about Overeaters Anonymous. As, and it was a local talk show host back in Cleveland. And yes, there is recovery in Cleveland. Um, and she told me about OA because a member of the fellowship was on her talk show and she knew I had always had issues with my weight. And I walked into my first OA meeting. And it's really weird. And this is just my story. Some people struggle with being, with believing that they're part of this program, that they qualify. I walked in my first meeting and it was instant qualification. They talked about the stuff that I used to do, like stuffing, walking over to the local deli to buy my diet lunch with three candy bars. And by the time I walked from the deli back to my office, the candy bars would be gone. And I'm going, wow, I'm not the only one who does this. And I immediately felt at home. At that first meeting, they told me I had a disease. And then all of a sudden, I remembered back to when I was in middle school and that report I had written. So the fact that I had a disease made total sense to me. I was also told that there was hope for me. And I needed that so badly because I was at the bottom. Everything in my life was going wrong at that time. And, um, and then I was told the thing that I believed then and I believe to this day. And that is that abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. And I knew I was home. I, it was just this feeling came over me. It wasn't rational. It wasn't logical. But it hit me like a ton of bricks that welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, welcome home. And I knew I was home. 
and I listened to the leader and she was thin and I somehow knew that if I was willing to work at it that I would get there too. So being the person with the low self-esteem that I was, I thought that the person, the leader, had some privilege. So I walked up to her after the meeting and and asked her to sponsor me. I didn't know what the hell a sponsor was, but I knew that I had to have this thing. And um, she said, all right, this is what you're going to do. You're going to, you know, she said, here's a food plan. And at the time, there were only two food plans. There was one printed on an orange sheet of paper, and there was one printed on a gray sheet of paper. Because at the time, we didn't have the elaborate printing that we do. It was like, you know, mimeograph machine, and uh, those were the pamphlets. As a matter of fact, I took out the, the pamphlets, which I still have, and they're like 10 cents, 15 cents, and I'm going, you know, wow, inflation. But getting back to these food plans, I took a look at the one on the gray sheet of paper, and I said, no way I'm doing this one. So I chose the one on the orange sheet of paper. And, you know, my abstinence today is really not that much different. What my sponsor said to me when I called her that first day was, Pick an abstinence that you can live with for the rest of your life. And I'm going, all right, I can do that. So the um, so I got abstinent that first night. My sponsor said, you're going to call me every day and tell me what you're going to eat. I did. I was so beaten down that if she had told me to jump off a cliff, I would have done it. But I called her every day. She told me, you're going to write for 20 minutes every day. Well, what the hell am I going to write about? I am a, those of you who know me, I'm a huge, huge proponent of writing. It's an amazing tool. And at the time that I started, writing wasn't a tool. Um, but I'm totally glad that it is. So I followed directions, and I lost. The first year, all I could do is follow the food plan, go to meetings, and there was only one meeting a week in Cleveland at the time, by the way. And um, when I, by the time I left Cleveland a year and a half later, they had started a second meeting. Probably one of the most gratifying things in my entire life in OA is that, oh my goodness, um, is that when I went to LA, I met a guy down in Orange County with about 25 years, and he said, I got my abstinence at that meeting that you had started. So it's, it's so gratifying to know that in some small way, what I do will be here for OA. Now, as you can imagine, I've gone through a lot of ups and downs in Overeaters Anonymous, and, and there's a lot of life that's happened, but I haven't had to go back to compulsive overeating. But I wanted to, my faith in a higher power was very slow in coming. Up until my big spiritual awakening, believe it or not, was only about seven years ago. And what happened was that I was not, I had gotten into a job that I knew I should not be in. 
and I was, things were not going well. I was about to be fired. And I knew I had to look for another job, so I thought I'd beat him to the punch. In the past, I've always written resumes for what I thought you wanted to hear. This time, for the first time, I wrote the resume for what I, for the job that I wanted. And I prayed about it and I prayed about it and prayed about it. And then I wrote a list of the companies that I might like to work for. The day after I finished the resume, a very dear friend of mine called. He's not in this program, but he's very spiritual. And the conversation went like this. Hey, Randy, just wanted to let you know that I'm now working for XYZ Corporation, doing that dream job that you and I have talked about for the last 15 years. They happen to have an opening in LA, and God told me you'd be interested. Are you? I said, you'll get my resume in five minutes. And he said, don't you want to see the job description? I'm quite fine. Send me the job description. I looked at the job description. I looked at the resume. I did not have to change a single word. God has led me to the job that I was supposed to have. And that was a real wake-up call for me that um, my, you know, this God thing, holy moly, it really works. There is a higher power out there, and this higher power cares about me. And I was, and after that, I knew that God would take care of me no matter what. Um, I've been, in the past three or four years, I've been through some very horrendous circumstances in my personal life. A lot of normal people would have gone out to eat. If you want more details, ask me after the meeting because it's the topic of another program. Um, but I went through it abstinently without, as a, as a matter of fact, I went through it and my clothes that I wore four years ago still fit me today. Um, I just wanted to thank you all for being here and um, thank you for making a service call on me. Thank you, Randy. Our second speaker is Marty. And I know he has at least 25 years because that's what the panel is about. So I guess I'll let him give you the details of how much abstinence he has. Please welcome Marty. Marty, a compulsive overreader. Uh, I am a compulsive overreader. I was born a compulsive overreader. And I always will be. It isn't what my parents did or society did or the environment or any of that. It's genetic. I fully believe that. Uh, I'm a big book person. Uh, I came in in the 80s. And uh, we just had dispensed with a food plan around that time or so. And uh, I had got a sponsor. Uh, 
if you don't have a sponsor, you need one. I can't. I, I, I couldn't do anything without a sponsor. I needed a sponsor. I needed someone to help me and guide me. Now I'm not stupid. I, I just, but I, I needed a sponsor. I needed like a teacher. You know, uh, I've, I've got a lot of colleagues under my belt, and I needed an instructor to tell me what the subject was about. And I had to listen to that instructor, and I had to take direction. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't know what the subject was. And uh, this isn't that much different. It's, it's very similar to me. So my, my sponsor made me do readings. And uh, I remember I used to commit my food to her. And I pray to God and I do the reading and I'd go downstairs to have breakfast and breakfast would last for hours. I, lo I, I, I used to think I loved to eat. And it really wasn't that, and I'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, me and her worked on a food plan. I had to eliminate certain foods. They were the foods that I thought I liked. And they were the cookies and the cakes and the white bread and the candy and all the junk. Very little nourishment, but a lot of calories. And I weighed over 300 pounds in my heyday. And I loved to eat. I'd, I'd start eating before I even got out of bed. And it wouldn't end till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And I used to say I had to eat because I had to work and I needed the energy. And it's all BS. Uh, what, what, what happened was uh, after about six months talking to my sponsor and not being able to get abstinent, I asked her, What's, what's wrong with me? Why can't I stay abstinent? And she said something very profound. Because you're a compulsive overeater, Marty. That's why. And all of a sudden, it really hit me. I've got a stinking disease. I'm not like ordinary people that can have a couple of cookies and walk away from them. When I get into the cookies, it's boxes. It's not just a little. It's, 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 it's a binge. I go for it. And so I eliminated a lot of that stuff from my food plan. I'm not telling anyone what kind of a food plan you ought to have. I'm just saying maybe if you're having trouble with your abstinence, you ought to look into what your food plan consists of. For me, that was very important. And I follow the big book on that. I am allergic to some foods. I'm also allergic to alcohol. I'm, I'm also an alcoholic. So I don't drink and I don't eat the foods that I'm allergic to. But there's plenty of foods other than those. And I'm going to mention one. Chickens. I never ate a piece of a chicken. I used to eat chickens. <laughs> well, you don't gain 200 pounds by overeating a few string beans. Believe me, you don't. You, you eat a lot. And I didn't realize that. I was not a heavy child. I was a, a, a fairly thin child. My parents were in the wholesale produce business, and all we ate was fruit, vegetables, and a little meat now and then. My mother hated cooking. She was a worker, so she never baked. There wasn't any of that stuff around the house, so I never ate it. So I was pretty thin. And uh, But when I, I got married, I married a real compulsive overeater, and she used to buy cream puffs by the dozens and I used to just devour them 
and I really never even liked them. But once I started eating them, I can't stop. It's not that I really like the crud. It's just I can't stop eating it when I start. So anyways, uh, my sponsor helped me get on a food plan that was comfortable for me. And I've been on it for uh, 29 years now. And, 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 and the food's settled down. Uh, I go any place. I go a lot of places. And sometimes my food gets a little long. I, I, I don't weigh and measure today. I, I used to when I first started out. And the benefit of that is it, it gave me an, uh, an eyesight of what I was eating. You know, I used to eat uh, 30 ounces of steak in one time. And, and I thought that was a portion. And when we got down to the four ounces, it was, what? What is this, an appetizer or something? Uh, which, which I will share with you. When I first started out with the abstinence, uh, breakfast was really cool because I used to skip breakfast most of the time. So, you know, having a couple of eggs and an apple was a pretty good deal. Lunch wasn't bad. Uh, it was a little lunch, a salad and some protein and stuff. And, and, and that wasn't bad because I was busy. And, and But then when I came to dinner and I had committed four ounces of protein and a, and a salad and, and, and vegetables, I looked at the thing and, oh, God, how can you live on that? After 22 days of living on that, it got adequate. Never too much, believe me, but adequate. And it sufficed. And uh, we used to have a saying when I was a kid even, some people eat to live. And some people live to eat. And I've had to learn how to eat to live rather than living to eat. Uh, does that mean I don't enjoy my meals? I enjoy them very much. I have a good time eating today. Uh, I usually just have three meals with not, nothing in between. Uh, if I do have stuff in between, I, may, I try to make it uh, some kind of a fruit or something like that that doesn't set me off. Uh, okay, food's down. It's, it's, it's in its place. What about life? And the little lady got onto that. Uh, you know, as you, as you grow older, life doesn't get better. I mean, I, I don't know about anybody else, but more, 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 uh, deformities come up. I'll say it that way. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I'd give anything to be 16 again. Uh, when I, you know, I, my eyes are bad. Uh, physically, I'm not what I used to be. Uh, I'm glad I'm breathing in and out, and I haven't had any heart attacks or any of that big stuff. Uh, but it's just not there. And uh, it gets tougher. Uh, I'm adjusting. I'll say it that way. Uh, I'm, I'm adjusting to my what I can't do anymore. And uh, that, isn't, that isn't fun and it isn't easy. Does food look like a solution? You bet your life it does. It calls and it wants me to go there. But that will only compound the problem. And so I talk to my sponsor. I go to a meeting. And I even have a God in my life. Now, before this program, God was my servant. I used to tell God what I wanted. And sometimes I get it. Most of the time I didn't. So I just say, I, that sucker, he doesn't do what I want. 
it, it, it wasn't a good relationship. Through the help of this program, I, I still have my same religion and my same beliefs and my same God, but my relationship has changed with God. And I ask God, what, I, what, what do you want me to do? And then I try to listen. I never have heard God talk to me in a voice, but I have him talk to me through you people, and I have heard him talk to me through my gut. It's, this is the right thing to do. And uh, that's helped me in my life. It's helped me walk through things and do things that I never thought I could do. Uh, many years ago, I wanted to be uh, like Lewis and Clark and go through forests and, uh, you know, live out in the wilds. And uh, I'm the kind of a person that I never could even find my way around the city reading the signs. Uh, and... Uh, I, I tried it and I learned. I learned uh, how to how to live out there. I, I lived out there for months uh, at a time, and uh, I really I'm glad I did it when I did it. I don't know if I could do it today, so I enjoyed it. And I guess what I want to get thanks dear. What I want to get to is if you're in pretty good shape today, learn this program and live it and give it your all. The little lady said, my abstinence is my main thing in my life. Uh, money comes, money goes. I, I work, I still make money, I love it. Uh, it's not my main goal today. Uh, relationships, I've been in a few. I was married for over 50 years and my wife died seven years ago. And I dated and I learned and I'm still learning. And uh, it, it, it's, it's okay. Uh, it's okay what it is. Uh, by not overeating, by learning this program and living it in my life, I have a life that I wouldn't change for the whole wide world. It's a good life. I am more dependent on other people today for driving and stuff like that, uh, which I don't like. But it is what it is. If I didn't have this program... I can assure you I would be weighing 400 pounds today and rather than being here and talking to you, I'd be sitting in front of the boob tube and flipping the channels, trying to find a channel that would make me happy. And there is no channel in this whole wide world that makes me happy. Nowhere near as much as you folks do. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you so much, Marty. Um, before we introduce the, our next speaker, I want to make sure that the bucket's still, the basket's still going around. Has anybody seen it? Oh, yeah. Just keep passing it all around. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, thank you very much. And our, ne our third speaker is Jack Z from Long Beach, and he will now speak for 20 minutes. I'm Jack Z, and I'm a compulsive overeater. I have been a member of this August Fellowship, as I refer to it, since the uh, 12th of February, 1971. 
And yeah, it's a long time. Uh, and the abstinence that I have is from somewhere between uh, the middle part of May and the latter part of August of 1971. So, thank you. and I do not say that this is my abstinence. Uh, unless it's a slip of the tongue, but because this is not. I can tell you what happened on my abstinence, and that's why I'm not on my abstinence anymore. So uh, I've really enjoyed the shares that have gone on, and I don't know about other people, but sometimes I have a focus when I'm to share. Sometimes I feel at a loss, and sometimes if somebody's sharing, I'll think, Boy, I should talk about that. And by the time it's time for me to share about that's occurred about 12 times, you know, and so uh, and lately it seems to be what was shared just a moment ago. It is what it is. I can't believe this. About a month ago <laughs> at uh, the Monday night meeting that I go to, there was a lady and she had a, a T-shirt on. And it had those words, it is what it is. And uh, I didn't care a whole lot for the T-shirt. The expression was okay. But, you know, the truth is, it is what it is. And my thing is to learn to accept that it is what it is and to do whatever it is that I can in the way of accepting that or adjusting to it or modifying it if possible. But that's not always possible. You know, uh, my father passed away in 1993. And for the last four years of his life, I was his primary caregiver. And uh, it was extremely stressful at times. Uh, but uh, fortunately, uh, there was uh, a hospital program that he was on where they would provide uh, once a week a person to come in and stay for about two hours so that I could do something. And uh, ultimately, my mom uh, paid for another person, so that gave me two sets of two hours during the week. And uh, people on the program were supportive, and uh, once or twice, people even came out and spelled me so that I could do something. And so that was that was very good. But what happened uh, in that relationship was that I think that my father and I came closer together because we had. We were very different people. My father was uh, more mechanically inclined. I am more mechanically inept. Uh, <laughs> and he, he loved country music. You know, nothing against country music, but I don't necessarily love country music. You know. And so, uh, you know, that was a, a wonderful time. And my father had never been ill a day in his life. He didn't even know what it was like to experience a headache. And when my they got married and then when my mother 
he felt that people, when they when they said that they had a headache or that they were sick, they were trying to get out of doing work. And so when my mother told him that she had a headache, he believed that she was telling him the truth. And it helped him to come to understand. And much of my life, I've had physical problems of one sort or another. And uh, I can understand the deformities lined. But, uh, you know, the, the thing is that basically uh, what was applicable when I came in is still applicable to me. And, uh, but I, for me, just like when I was, uh, was working, those with whom I worked were often more important than the work that I did. And uh, a good uh, knit amongst my fellow employees could really make the unbearable more bearable. And on the other hand, if there was a, a mismatch in there, that could make it more challenging. And so, uh, you know, I had a mixture. I was able to see both sides of the coin. And I remember a, a lady that maybe a couple of people know. I know Nancy knew her, Alta. And I loved Alta dearly, you know. She was just a real godsend. I remember, and she started a number of different meetings, and they usually panned out. And she was just a wonderful lady. And I, I remember the lady who was her sponsor, whose name was Pat S. And I used to go to this Monday night Westminster meeting in Orange County, which remains the largest meeting I've ever gone to. You because know, it was three to five hundred people every week. Three to five, not three people, but three hundred to five hundred people every Monday night. It was huge. And yet it faded away. And uh, I remember at this meeting, too, I was sharing recently that uh, a lady came up and Alta had more time abstinence wise than I think about two years more. So a lady came up and Alta asked her how she was doing and she said that uh, that she uh, wasn't abstaining but she was working the steps. And Alta and I looked at each other and I deferred to Alta because she had more time and she just said, you know, frankly, if you if you don't have abstinence, you can't be working the steps. You know? And that's not a popular thing to say but I believe it's a true thing to say. And so uh, at, at some point, you know, I started going to meetings and, uh, and I, uh, I had uh, the requisite then, this was gray sheet era. This was even before gray sheet was part of OA as, as a whole. Uh, you know, you called your food in for 21 days and then you uh, got together with a sponsor and they took you through the first three steps and then you could become a food sponsor. And then later on, once you did your inventory and gave it away, you were then qualified to be a step sponsor. So I, uh, I approached this guy. In fact, I brought his book. That's my uh, Alcoholics and I, That's okay. It's my Alcoholics Anonymous Comes of Age, and it, it belonged to the, the man that I'm telling you about. You know, 
and I I loved I loved him dearly. And so we had a conversation outside of a meeting. And uh, he asked me if I had read the book Alcoholics Anonymous. So I told him that I had the book Alcoholics Anonymous. You know something? He, he too noticed the subtle change in wording. Uh, so he told me he wouldn't take me through the, the steps until I had read the book Alcoholics Anonymous. So I told him, you know, I'm a, I'm a person that attempts to get along and negotiate and uh, do the win-win thing, although that wasn't a term used then. It was a few years later. So I said, I will take the book home and I will read it tonight. Okay, because I'd taken a course in speed reading. <laughs> and I could do 5,000 words a minute, which impresses me. <laughs> so, uh, so he didn't like that. He said that he wanted me to take like three or four weeks. I mean, my God, I've already waited 21 days, you know. So uh, I said, you know, again, being a nice guy, I said, well, I'll uh, take the weekend. I'll slow down my reading pace. You know? He didn't like that. He was rooted in this three to four weeks to read the book. And, so uh, Ray and I had irreconcilable differences. <laughs> so I went to uh, a lady, and all of this is kind of coming together lately, and I'll tell you why, and then I'll get back to where I left off, I hope. When I was in, in Albuquerque this year uh, representing uh, my intergroup for, uh, for OA, I, uh, I saw the lady who became my sponsor after I, excuse me, after I broke my abstinence. And she was already my maintenance sponsor, but then she became everything. And I now refer to her, and she loves this when I say it there, to as she who must be obeyed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so... When I was there and we got together and she told me we had the whole day together, which really, she, she was telling the truth, you know, which amazed me. So we did a lot of different things. So uh, we were talking about uh, a friend of ours who uh, was the guy over whom I broke my abstinence uh, uh, because of this little thing called resentment. And so uh, when I got back to the, to the hotel, I got online and I put his name in there and he did not have a common name. And I found out that he had passed away in 2004. You know? And so then I called, called her up and told her what I had found out. And I, I don't really like to be the bearer of the old tidings. So, and then I learned, you know, this is important too, at least to me. His mother had diabetes, very severe. And his mother was the one who took me through the first three steps when Ray would not. And, uh, 
her name was Jean, and she would say, my name is Jean, ain't I clean? And I love that. And she would have her, her uh, fingernails and her toenails uh, painted, the, like the thumbs would be the same color, and each finger a different color, so we got down to the pinkies being the same color, and then her toesies. And she was just, and she loved Elvis Presley, like you wouldn't believe. And she had uh, seen him on more than one occasion, and he kissed her cheek one time. And I honestly don't know if she ever washed that cheek again. (laughs) But she was just a, a wonderful lady, and she had diabetes, and she had to have surgery and to move a vein from one area to another. And the doctor gave her instructions, and she did not follow those instructions, and she found, she found herself back in the hospital again. And this time when she got out, she followed her doctor's directions. And my sponsor was amongst those who were with her at a meeting at her home one night. And as I understand it, since I wasn't there, she went around the room telling each person how special they were and that she loved them. And the following day, she died. Now, her son, as I think I mentioned, was the one over whom I I broke my abstinence. And it was really kind of a weird thing because uh, it was a topic I really don't care much about. You know, my dad would have had a great time with him. But, uh, you know, the strange thing with the resentment is I was driving home from the restaurant. He was not physically in the car. And we're still having this discussion. He's not even there and he's still winning. How could this be? I mean, you know. And then I got home and I uh, took care, thank you, I took care of the problem and uh, I realized that I had eaten. I still don't remember it to this day. And I called the lady who was my maintenance sponsor and I told her what I had done and she told me what I was going to do. Now, I know that you're not supposed to tell another compulsive overeater what to do because we're very sensitive people and we don't like that. She never read that. So she just told me what I was going to do and as God is my witness, I was afraid what the consequences would be otherwise. And so I did everything she told me to do, and I think that that's the reason I'm here today, is because I followed directions to the letter. Now, amongst the things that, you know, I would have done better probably to bend over with to Ray, but she told me she wanted me to read five pages a day out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, I was very precise when it came to, I wanted to make sure I did exactly five pages. And so if it ended halfway, if one page ended halfway down or whatever down, I would go to the next page until it was a full five pages. And then uh, she wanted me to, uh, to underline. She did not know that God did not like people who underlined. So I did that. And then she uh, she wanted me to write a one-page summary on the five pages that I had read. Good grief, you know. 
So uh, I, I did that. She did not tell me whether it was open book or closed book. As God is my witness, I didn't call her up and ask her. I just assumed the worst scenario because that's the way things were going. So I made it closed book. She never once asked me to share the writing that I had done, and she never once asked me if I was doing the reading and the writing. Never once. Uh, and I think the reason that she did not was because after a while, people knew that they could come to me and I could tell them generally whether what they were talking about was in the big book or not in the big book. And after a while, people began to refer to me as Mr. Big Book. So maybe in her mind, she's figuring he must be doing something. And uh, and I love her to this to this day. She is such a wonderful gem. And what has really helped me is that no matter what the problem that comes up, that I know that when push comes to shove, I've always been willing to do whatever it was necessary to do. And sometimes it takes one heck of a push to get me going. But I am, I am willing to do that because this disease is waiting. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time, so, uh, you know, people like to talk. I, I have one of my expressions is dis-ease leads to the disease. Okay. I have many. Uh, and I have, I have learned that I, I need to stick close to others. When I say the serenity prayer, I do not use the personal term I. I say we. And what do you know, in AA Comes of Age, on page 196, Bill says that the we version is the one that he saw. You know, and if this is not a me program, but a we program, I just follow through on that. And I, uh, I am so grateful for the people that I have known, not just Alta, but you know, Chuck Chamberlain and Dottie Shore and uh, you know, uh, John Warren, who, uh, who came up with some, some of the slogans that people use, and Floyd Beacons, who would say that this disease goes from sliver to slice to slab to slob. And it's true, and you could write a lot about that. Just people after people who have made this journey worthwhile. And knowing people like you uh, and others who fill these rooms so that I don't have to become, you know, Jean died, even though she had diabetes, she died abstinent. Her son, I don't think, uh, I think he suffered quite a bit because somebody I found on the web that wrote about him said that he always had something wrong with his legs or his feet. And he always had something on. And thank God we don't have to do that. Once you decide that this is the path you want to travel, and there's also, there's not my program, there is the program as outlined in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, which I didn't come up with. I'd love to take credit for that. You know, but I did not. And so I think and I'm thankful that we are on this journey together and that 
we can we can work through it. We just have to be willing to do that which we ordinarily would not be willing to do. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, Jack. Um, Thank you all for um, putting your questions in the um, bucket, uh, the basket as it went around. Uh, we will now have questions from the Ask It basket. So, the first question, um, and this one's not directed to anyone in particular, so whoever would like to take this one. Ha how have your weights fluctuated throughout the years? Uh, the simple answer for me is not much uh, because, you know, I, you know, when I was, was younger, uh, a couple years ago, when, when I was younger, I could eat a lot more than I can now and maintain the same weight. But my commitment has never been to a quantity of food. That's how I got here, a commitment of higher quantities of food. But my commitment is to the weight, and I've had to make adjustments. And I have these strange experiences, like many years ago, uh, I came up with what I call the rule of half, which is often in a restaurant, I know that it's more than I can have, so I will draw a line down the middle of it, and then I, myself, or somebody else will you know, pick the half that I have at that moment. And then I get the other half. And the thing is, this is fascinating about this rule because I must be doing a fairly good job at it because usually when I finish the half that I have and I look at the other half, I'm thinking, I'll bet you I should have had the other half because that half is bigger than the half I just had. So then when I get home and later when I have the other half, the opposite thought comes to me. Yeah? I should have put some of that over here because this is not the bigger half. And when I go through that conversation in my head, I know that it was adequate, you know, which is really great. And then recently, I, there was a, a place that I, I eat at, and I'm pretty much a rut eater. I have the same thing for breakfast just about every day, the same basic stuff for lunch and the same basic stuff for dinner. And if I go to a restaurant, I find something that I like on the menu, and that is what I have. Even if they change the menu, I will remind them of what they used to have, and they will generally accommodate me. So, and a while back, I was getting the feeling that cutting it in half wasn't doing it. So, I then went to the rule of thirds. So now I break it. And recently the thought has been occurring to me, and I, I dread speaking this out in public, that maybe I should do it in force with this. But that hasn't come to fruition. But at some point I get the real clear message in my head that I have to make a change. Now, I, I also suffer from acid reflux, which is not a pleasant thing. And so my doctor told me, and I've had a medical thing, so for years I've eaten every two hours. So I, I went to my doctor and he told me that I had acid reflux. And one of the things it meant is that I have 
too much of one meal if he only knew. And so he told me he wanted me to break each meal into separate portions. So I, I took breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which were my main meals, and I broke those down. And that meant that I was not having the mini meals that I was having. And I thought to myself, going to lose a little weight now. Did not happen. So, you know, I, I just do what is, what is necessary. Many years ago, I started gaining weight and I wasn't eating anymore. And I just started cutting back and cutting back and cutting back. And finally, the weight cut back. And occasionally, I am able to have a little bit more, but usually it's cut back time. And so it's just a matter of doing what's necessary again. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, to Marty, when you first came into OA, did you ever imagine having the time in abstinence recovery that you have today? In other words, did you just, did you just want the diet or food plan to lose the weight in order to lose the weight? The 29 years have gone almost like overnight. It's been very swift. Uh, no, I, I came in. Uh, one of the reasons I really came into this program was to get my wife on a program because she was obese, not just fat. She was obese. And uh, I always thought I could go on a diet and lose weight any time I wanted. Problem was I couldn't stay on a diet. I'd lose the weight and then I'd put it back on. But uh, I had no idea uh, that I'd be here as long as I am. I had no idea I'd live as long as I'm living. Uh, it's, I just, I remember my, the meeting that got me, Darby Street. And what got me was a great big guy. I mean, when he was big, he had big broad shoulders, narrow at the hip. I mean, he was a good looking man. He was an attorney. And he said something profound. Put me up against the greatest adversary in the world. I'll at least hold my own. And I may even whip his butt. Put me up against a Twinkie. And I'll lose every time. And uh, with that one, I was sucked into this program. And I'm so glad I, I was. And time's gone very fast. have time for a couple more. Um, I did, this one's not directed at anyone in particular. Um, how do you keep coming back to OA no matter what, regardless of not still with the food? How do you stay willing? How do I stay willing? Um, I kind of feel like circumstances in my life come up that kind of hit me over the head and make me realize that I, it's not so much a question of willingness. It's a question of, for me, there's no other way. Um, 
when life kind of happens, my first thought is usually go to a meeting, call my sponsor, write about it, read something in the big book. And I, I think how I become willing is I just, when things happen to me, I just um, instinctively know that this program has worked for me. And why wouldn't I do what doesn't work when I have a blueprint for life that does? Um, and it's kind of funny because my higher power has this never-ending knack for hitting me upside the head when, when I get too complacent, when I tend to, when my ego tends to get in the way, invariably something will happen that tells me, oh, you're not, you know, your ego's getting in the way. You need to do some writing. You need to cut back on your food. And um, just being teachable and being observant when those things are happening just lets me keep coming back and not take this program for granted. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Try another one. Um, this is for you, Jack. You mentioned that it was impossible to be working the steps and not be abstinent. Would you please explain why this is? Well, I could say it is what it is. I just did. <laughs> but the fact is, I mean, uh, let's draw a parallel. If, if a person is an alcoholic or a drug addict and doesn't give up the substance, but is still relying upon the substance and attempting to work the steps, people can more easily see that it doesn't make sense that you can work the two together. But for some reason with food, Food. With food, people seem to think that it's different. And what fascinates me is the attitude that's prevalent amongst people that uh, food is more serious and more deadly than alcohol and that society doesn't give enough recognition to it. And yet, most of the people in OA are not willing to go to the lengths that alcoholics are willing to go to to get and remain sober. They're not willing to go to 30 meetings or 90 meetings in 30 days or 90 days. And they balk at whatever it is they, they want to do. I don't want to do that. You know, isn't there somebody else around? You know, and so if, if a person's attitude is that this thing is worse than alcoholics, or, you know, than alcohol, and you have to do it all the time, then show me the willingness to do at least as much or more than what they are, are willing to do. You know, but it's not there. It's two contradictory viewpoints living in the same person and somehow remaining disjointed. And it still does not make sense to me. You know, in the first year of this present abstinence, I went to between seven and nine meetings a week. You know, and I, I still, to this day, I go to at least four, sometimes five meetings a week. 
And I didn't do it because anybody told me to do it. I did it because it felt like the cutbacks I was talking about earlier, that it was necessary to do. And I really enjoyed it as well. So, thank you. Okay. Um, I'm sorry to say we ran out of time. This was so much fun. And I have to get busy and text all my sponsees about my new title, She Who Must Be Obeyed. <laughs> anyway, so we're, uh, it's now time to close this session. I'll get back to the program here. Um, please join me in a moment of silence. Followed, oh, wait, first of all, we have to thank the speakers for. Thank you. And uh, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Okay, and it's now time to close the session. Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to Thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Take advantage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that passing or them may bear witness to those I would help, of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Thank you all for attending. You know, we're wondering, do we need to find that? Yeah, he wants us to find that. Yeah, that's the